invite you to open your Bibles with us this morning to Luke chapter 18, verse 18, and this is where we want to take a message this morning. Uh, Often it's referred to as the rich young ruler, and we will read down a little bit, stop, and we're going to read a little bit further and stop. After we speak for a while, we'll read a little bit further. I think you'll see why as we look at this. It is a story that most of us, if we've read the Word of God very long, are familiar with. It is a very common story. But I believe also it's common to miss some of the greater teachings of this parable. Oftentimes we make a quick assumption, and oftentimes we don't consider the context and the text in its entirety to get the deeper message that God has. And as we look at this this morning, I want to encourage us in one area, and that is stay around for the end of the message. It might only be 30, 35 minutes, but stay for the end because we will see within the scope of this message a great call to God's people, a great challenge to a very good man. But we also need to see the end of the message to get the greater message that I believe the Lord Jesus has for each one of us this morning. A ruler questioned him, verse 18, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There is no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess, distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. We're going to stop right there. We have in many ways by all standards of the world, a perfect specimen of a man who came to Jesus, if you look at this. First, he was a ruler. It doesn't say this, but there's two other texts, both in Matthew and Mark, that refer to this same instance. He was also wealthy. And if you look at this, he was also an exceedingly cultured and polite man because of the way he spoke to Jesus. If you look in verse 1, verse 18, the first verse, a ruler questioned him. Now, if you think of this in light of the culture of Israel, this man would have been up in the A-list. Okay, he would have got invited to the top funerals. This guy would have fit in who's who list wherever he went. But this man came to a point when he heard of Jesus and his teaching that he was perplexed enough that he was willing to step out from the crowd and come to Jesus with a question. He was really willing to take shame 
to get the results of something that he was so desperately wanting to know. Consider this with me. He said, good teacher. He was honorable himself, but respectful to the one he was coming to. He had seen enough to know he was a good teacher. It doesn't say how much he knew yet at this time, but he had seen that he was enough for a good teacher. And he had one really, really good question. It is a question that no one who's ever going to walk through the doors of the kingdom of heaven will not ask and answer before God. He said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? There is the question. A great man taking a great risk to go before a man called Jesus to ask a question that was just driving at his heart, his bosom. I don't know how much sleep he lost. I don't know how much he struggled in different ways. But he was there before Jesus, and he was asking the one great question in front of Jesus that he needed to know an answer for. Now, as Jesus does often, he doesn't answer questions like we think throughout the Bible he would. This is one of the really interesting things about Jesus. Oftentimes, he might ask a question back, or other times, he didn't say a word. Other times, he would go say, just go home and do this. Jesus doesn't work like men. He's never worked like man. He was the son of God, all God and all man. But notice what Jesus did. Jesus said to him, verse 19, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And Jesus says, you've got to see this. The very purpose of Jesus' ministry was to exalt the Father. This, was his, this is why he came. He came in the world that everything, every miracle, every teaching, everything all the way to where he went at the very end of his life at the cross was to exalt the Father. And he says, don't call me good. You know, when he talked about the return of Jesus, someone asked him when you're coming back, and he says, only the Father knows. Even in, in John 17, when he got ready to leave the world, he says, I finished the work that you gave me to the do, Father. I was here to glorify your name, and I finished the work. And this is where Jesus was here. Now, Jesus, though, does respond back. You notice this. Sometimes he never spoke a word. He just thought, I'll let you listen to, to God. But notice what he does here. He says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and honor your father and mother. And he says, here they are. Now, everyone knows this. This is why Jesus died, that no one until Jesus Christ came ever kept the law perfectly. Every person, but I believe this young man was exceedingly in earnest when he responded back. I believe this man had a deep, uh, earnest, sincere heart when he spoke this. And notice what he said in verse 21. He said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Really, he didn't say a lot, and you could say, well, he's boasting, but probably we're also seeing a man that not only was a great man of, of, of stature, respect and honor, but of character. His character probably stood out above the masses of people. This is probably who this man was. And there is a very important reason that Jesus allows this to come into the word in three of the different gospel accounts. Because what happened then, Jesus pointed to the one thing. 
You see, Jesus sees everything. God sees everything. God sees the black rock, the black ant on the black rock on the black night. God sees it all. He doesn't miss. He sees in the interior of our hearts in every way. His eyes run to and fro throughout the entire world, seeking one heart that is perfect toward him. This is the God we worship. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it's a beautiful verse. He just keeps looking over his people. But here it was, if you notice, Jesus calls out one thing. He says, one thing you lack. Here is his answer now. There was a question. Jesus came back and pointed to God. Then he gave the law, the Ten Commandments, and now he has a question, if you notice. An answer, he says, one thing you still lack. He said, I've got to put my finger on the one thing. I see your heart, and this is it. The one thing you lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, Jesus looked at this man. He called him out in one area, and he said, just sell out and follow me. Now, remember, here you have the disciples gathered around, and they're listening and observing this entire confrontation. And as they're there, they left their nets. They left the receipt of customs. They heard Jesus' call. They didn't know where Jesus was going to take them. They just started going forward. A bunch of young guys. I believe Pastor Brett mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Just a bunch of young guys that didn't have a clue except Jesus had called them. And now this man stood there and he was presented a standard that was very, very high. Very high. And if you notice what's the... It said he became very sad for he was extremely rich. It was like, can you see his heart beating? Can you, can you just sense a knife cutting into his heart for a minute? Going, oh, not that. Oh. For many years, we, we've, uh, in, in our business that we were involved in, we would fly back and forth, especially the north, north to south corridor. And because we flew so much, we got upgrades quite commonly in which we didn't have to purchase, but they just came and gave us a ticket and said, you can go up in first class. And first class is an interesting place. Many of you have been there. It's kind of a place you protect your turf. You have your computer. You have these big places to rest your arm. And you really want to lock in and protect your time you have there because you have a meeting up and down the road. One day I was flying down to Oakland. And a man comes in late, and he has a a really nice suit on. Very well-dressed, mid-40s guy. He plopped down right beside me on the plane. And I think, well, we'll take care of this quick. I'll tell him who I am. He'll tell me who he is. His name was Fernando. I don't remember a lot of those names. But this guy here I remembered. His name was Fernando, and Fernando had kind of done it all. He had worked in the leading corporation in America. He worked right next to the founder, He was able to tell me all about the guy, told me when he got mad and when he didn't get mad. And finally, one day, he just took an early early, uh, buyout, and he went and started his own company. Now he had 80 people, and he's on a roll. And so he asked me, what do you do? Because I was bivocational most of my life. I'd say, well, I do a little of this because it kind of intimidates you. Then when you tell them you're a pastor, usually they hear that and go, wow, okay. They move over about two inches. But uh, he finally looks at me, and I tell him, I say, well, I'm bivocational, but I preach the gospel. That's really my first passion. 
And Fernando says, that's really interesting. I can still remember the, the look in his eyes. He says, I, that's really interesting. Because my wife and I have done a thorough study on the existence of Jesus and the gospel. And we have become convinced there is no God. There is no God. But for you, it's okay. And he says, that's good. I got to study. I got, I got things. And he opens his computer. And I open mine. And I'm praying, Lord, it'd be nice to be able to connect with Fernando again. But you've got this thing. And most of you know this. If you've flown very much, about 25 minutes before the plane lands, it begins to shift. You know you're on your way down. The wheels will hit the ground somewhere in 25 minutes. It might be 30. They might have to do a, a revolution. But you're going to hit the ground. About 25 minutes, Fernando turns and he folds up his computer and he says, you know, I do have one more question for you as a pastor. He says, my wife and I studied all the help books and raising children. We have done it right in every way. But there is one thing that isn't working. He says, our youngest son is in rebellion and he's 10 years old and he's resisting us as parents who care so deeply for him. I said, what do you think? I said, Fernando, you think it's ever possible that in my worldview, now I'm going to give you this, that God is, he has allowed this to show you that you can't do what you think you can. Every time I read this, I think of Fernando, that God put his finger on one thing, and Fernando says, wow. Then he sat there a minute, and he was really kind of a unique guy, and then he says, can you believe it that we're having a conversation like this in first class today? <laughs> and I just said, you know, I'd like to talk to you later. Here's my card. And Fernando got off, and I've never seen him since. But there's a reason for this story. When you see this in the Bible... It is a standard, and it has caught me for many years. Even when, I, as a young Christian, I'd read this and say, wow, this is harsh. This is radical. And it is radical. The call of Jesus to a disciple has always been to come and die. Then, then, then dying. First die, then dying. First die to live. But then I said, but hold it. Here goes a guy just leaving, and the disciples, the word of God will say it later, they will just be... Uh, just amazed and not even understanding what's going on here. And Jesus' standards and the word of God's standards and God's standards, I believe, is showing us right here that no man reaches those standards. We can't ascend the mountain of God. But I want you to stay around for the story because every person here has came to a place you've hit a wall. You could go no further. You have tried. You have prayed. You have tried everything and you could not go no further. Some of you have never given your life to Christ here today. You've went to church. You know the lingo. But you've never totally surrendered to Jesus Christ in your heart. And here Jesus begins to tell the rest of the story, and I ask you to stay for it, because in the context that we will see here, I want us to see something really powerful that Jesus did say, it's very hard, and you know, the eye of a needle, when I was a little guy, I remember thinking, I just wonder how you could ever get that camel through that little teeny eye, and then I finally concluded, it doesn't work, 
in my mind, I would just even sit there, well, maybe you could try this angle or that angle or this angle or this angle. It doesn't work. This is what Jesus is showing us. By an outstanding man with a tremendous pedigree, with great moral standards, who had a very earnest heart, and none of those will get you into the kingdom of heaven. You will not make it. Now let's go on, though, because this is very important as we look at this. But I want you for a moment, just as we're looking at this, to turn with me to John chapter 6, verse 65, to get, it, to get the message that Jesus, this isn't the first time Jesus did this. He, he would put the standard up there because he was calling all men to repentance, all men to come to a place that they would surrender. But here he says, for this, verse 64, we'll begin reading here, it's probably not on the screen, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. That was Judas. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him of the Father. Now those are very, very hard words. And this is what the response was. And as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. I can't take that. These are disciples. They were not walking with Jesus anymore. And Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away also? You, do you? Here the disciples, all these disciples said, I can't take this. They walk out and Jesus looks over here at the 12 and he says, are you gonna leave too? And I want us to get the answer. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They stayed, okay? Now we see the rich young ruler walking away. He has his camels and his camel train, and he has all of his guardians, and he has his advisors, and they're leaving. But I see a man with a heavy heart. He has not found the answer that he came for. We live in a world surrounding us in surprise with heavy hearts. On every one of our streets, our neighbors have heavy hearts. You don't have to go across the world to find this. You'll find it right here. And I see this man coming to this place that he just walks away. Walks away. Now, I could ask you this, but it's almost a redundant question because I know. I already know because I know me. Every person here in some way or another has been tempted to walk away. Everyone. Everyone. It doesn't miss us. You know, I think you can go and you take great prophets of God like Jeremiah as an example. Just a mighty man of God commissioned to bring truth to the children of Israel. And the people had hard hearts and hard foreheads that were like flint. And the day came in Jeremiah's life in chapter 20. He said, I'm not even going to make mention of the name of the Lord anymore. I'm done. I am done. My time is over. I have finished the course that I'm going to do. But you know what's so beautiful is the next verse. It says, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I could, was worried with forbearing, and I could not stay. I couldn't walk away. You can't either. 
It's harder to walk away from God than we think it is. He's got long arms. He pursues us in the most amazing ways. And this is where the disciples were. But we do have the example of the person who saw the standard and he walked away. You've been there too. I've been there too. Something is bigger than us. We do not have an answer for it. We try. We pull button, push buttons, pull levers. We make phone calls. We write letters. And it still doesn't change. Now, I want us to stay for the rest of the story because this is what is so important to us. But I want to go one more place. 1 Corinthians 1, before we do, verse 23. Because I want, to, I want us to get this. Remember, the disciples stayed. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, the disciples still lingered. They're the ones that said, Jesus, how can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We're here. You got us. I'm going to begin reading in verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, the Gentiles' foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Praise God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise men according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, here's the purpose, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I still get a picture of the guy walking away. And in the study, I kept thinking about this guy walking away, and he just got called out on one thing. Several years ago, a colleague who lived on the other side of the of the U.S. called me one day. We'd worked together probably 20 years. Good friend. He says, I got something that's just perplexing me. I took, a, I took one of the clients fishing up in Montana. And he says, you know, we had a great fishing trip and we got out and we're just coming to the end of our trip and the, and the boat flipped upside down. And he said, we were getting everything upright in the boat and everything picked up and went in the water and it was in the sand and we turned the boat up. And he says, the reason I'm calling you, he called me really early in the morning, is I all of a sudden I heard him say, you know, I think, Tom, we have everything, but I think we forgot one thing. And he said, I turned, he didn't say anything and he'd fallen over dead with a heart attack. He says, do you have any idea of what he could have been saying? Hey, it was a wonderful opportunity to witness to a real good friend and say, you know, it's amazing how we can live our entire life and miss one thing. It is so easy. You can get so wrapped up in life, Tom, that we miss the one purpose of our existence, the one reason we're here. And I don't know. I don't know what. That was the end. We talked about that for years later. We would go back to that story. But Jesus called out one thing here. And these disciples just saw this wall. And we, they watched the man go away. And I want us to notice the response of Jesus after he told the story. Because he begins to open up the story, the rest of the story. we got to get the rest of the story. 
This is why it's so important. This is how we teach the Bible here, to get the context within the text, to get beyond to look back and before to look down. But if you notice here, they said in verse 26, they said, then who can be saved? God's standard is too high. And now Jesus begins to give them a little clue. He thinks, says that he answers this a second question. His answer comes directly now. He says, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. That's the answer. But he hasn't given you the source yet. Now we get the answer. This is something that happens. This is good for all of us in witnessing. Jesus has now put up a standard and he says, there's a life raft out there. There's hope. There is a way to escape this. But yet he has not given the answer. He just says, what's impossible with people is possible with God. We've got a great big God. My father has big arms, great hands. What you can't do, he can do. Oh, I think of different ones in the Bible who saw those great arms and hands of God, the faith of God. In the last week, we were sharing with some of the staff one day a very precious verse of Psalms 27, verse 4. And this was a man after God's own heart, David. And look what David writes. One thing have I had. He had one thing. Have I asked of the Lord that I shall seek? I have one thing, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. You see, David was singular, taking all of his responsibilities and his task and his callings and all the things that were just drawing him in life, and he was coming back to one thing. I'm a multitasker. That's kind of how I function. I can be carrying two conversations often, but usually they don't get as good. They start getting perverted. But one thing God does with all of us when he's going to give us truth is he's going to say, you've got to come back to one thing. I think of Mary and Martha. You remember the story of Mary and Martha in the Bible, and they were there serving Jesus, and Martha, Mary was at the feet of Jesus. And Martha was serving, encumbered with much serving, and there it was that Jesus, she called out Mary for being there, sitting at the feet of Jesus, the one thing that Mary is choosing to do. And there it was that Jesus said this, Martha, Mary has chosen the necessary part. You see, in our lives, God takes us to a place we've got to come back to the most important. And this is what he was doing with the disciples here. And if you notice Peter's answer, it's kind of interesting. In verse 28, he was always impetuous, forever the forward guy. He was going to stumble in many ways. And Peter said, behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. God, we've, we're here. I'm the fisherman you picked up in the Sea of Galilee. And he says, we've left our own homes and followed you. And he said, notice Jesus' response again. Truly I say unto you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Now I want us to notice something here. He asked the rich young ruler to leave his riches to follow him. And you know what Jesus just did? He gave a list of riches. He just gave them. 
I'll never forget the time going to Israel in 1988, and I was standing there, and I looked at my children, my four little children standing there, or one of three at that time, waving goodbye, and a pastor looked at me, and he says, look down there, John, off the plank, as I'm going into the plane, 10 days on a pastor's tour, he says, look at those, that's the greatest possessions you'll ever have, this side of heaven, except salvation. And Jesus is going, riches are bigger than you first think. And the calling, what I'm calling the rich man to may not be what I call you to. You see, there's a place that without knowing it, we build idols in places that God doesn't want idols. He will share no glory with any man. He doesn't want an idol anywhere. And this is what he says. So Jesus is saying, look it, don't miss the best for the good. Now remember, he's saying what's impossible with men is possible with God, but he hasn't fully opened this door. But he's saying, don't miss the best for good. Remember that. He says, cling to that. There's something so much better. We can run and run and run and run and run and be running for the second best. It's so easy. It can be good things, but the best is lost. In the scramble of life, and you've been there and I have too. The Holy Spirit so gently and yet so beautifully has brought me back and says, go back and focus on my word and on my truth and I'll take care of the rest. But let's notice this because Peter there, he says, uh, Peter, and he's, and, but I want to notice something. He says, no one who leaves all these things, Peter, so I want you to remember this. Verse 30, will not receive many times as much in this time in the age to come eternal life. When you do this, when you follow me, when you surrender, when you give up, what you receive back will be so much greater than what you gave up. You will never outgive God. God is no man's debtor. And Jesus is saying this here. We may not see it at first. It might be in peace. It might be in joy. It might be in some way that God is giving you children that are rising up throughout the world that you had no idea of. But Jesus is saying something. He's opened the door bigger. Remember this. This is big. I want you to see this. He says, no one who does this will not receive many times as much in this life in the kingdom to come, eternal life. But we're not done. There's still another part of the story. And this is what makes this possible. Remember what Jesus said, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. If he would have stopped there, I'd stand there before you today and I'd have, I would have no message of hope for the weakest person here. But this is what the Bible does. The Bible gives hope to the weakest person that is sitting here this morning. The Bible reaches out an olive branch and says, you can too. You can make it through Jesus. And you can, we can miss this, but let's turn over. I think, no, I think we'll just get to this because we're coming to the end of the message. I'm not going to give you another reference right now, but he took the 12 aside and here's the ones that stayed, you remember, he takes them aside, and he said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. I want us to get this, don't miss this. All things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now what he's saying is, I'm going to die. I want you to get that. I'm going to die. I'm leaving here to die. 
One of the gospel accounts, Matthew's, did not pick this up. And we'll see something later. I am going to give my life. And all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. I'm going to fulfill the word of God through a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. Let's get this. Because it is so important when we're grabbing the rest of the story. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and be mocked, mistreated, and spit on. This is the Son of God. This is the one who stood there and was giving this thing that with God, men, it's impossible. But with God, everything's possible. Do you think he thought of the cross as he thought of that? Do you think it's possible that his own flesh was pulling and saying, I don't want to go in my own flesh? But I want us to notice and after that, they will be scourged, and they will kill him, and the third day, he will rise again. Here's the answer. Jesus is saying throughout this parable, as we're looking at it, you can't, but I can, and I will, and I am. I am going to give myself as a perfect sacrifice so you don't have to walk away. No matter how big of a wall is in front of you, know how much you've been called out and overwhelmed by the task that is before you. You may be a Christian today and you don't know what to do. I want to encourage you, you don't need to walk away because Jesus can do through you what you cannot do. This is why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You don't have to walk away. You don't have to surrender and be like the rich young ruler and take your entourage and walk hopeless down the road. But you've got to see the rest of the story. And this is the rest of the story that Jesus was saying. I just give this to consider because I didn't get this for a long time in the parable. It's Jesus saying here, hold it. Look at this. Just look to me. You can't do it. The greatest specimen of a man came before me and walked away hopeless. You disciples stand over here, here overwhelmed about who can be saved. You can't do it, but I can do it through you. I can give you the strength. It is not your strength. It is my strength. This is why Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now the life I live, I live in the, in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because I don't have to walk away. I can stand there. If you notice this, what happened in verse 34, some people didn't get it. If you notice this, it says, but the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. What it's saying is they had not got what Jesus was going to do and how it fit into this yet. I give this to you today because I don't know where you're at. I know where I have been, helpless, not knowing what to do many, many times in my life. Matter of fact, one day, my wife and I were talking a while back, and it's been the 38th year we've been in the ministry of the God's Word, and about 30 years, I was just pressed out of measure. I did not know what to do. But I praise God that you can stand before the Lord Jesus 
and not walk away. And you know what's so beautiful is there's examples in the, in the Bible of people who was faced with some very amazing things, and they stood there, and one of those was Mary, the mother of Jesus who bore him, and she came and she followed him in spite of all the unbelief and all the ridicule and everything that happened with Jesus, and there at the end of his life, one precious verse on Mary says, there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, she wouldn't walk away. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where the God's got you, but I want to encourage you through the Spirit today, don't walk away. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like to you, because Jesus is willing to take every, his sacrifice confirms it. He's saying you don't have to carry the load. You know, one time he turned to in Peter and he says, just cast all your care upon me because I care for you. You know, I think of the woman, and some of you have been there. A woman condemned by a religious group of people, brought to Jesus, taken to adultery. You know who walked away that day? When Jesus looked out there and he says, he that is without sin among you cast the first stone. And the religious elite all left. One by one, it says, they left. And all that was left was one woman standing before Jesus whose life had been a mess. I give you this because Jesus throws out lifelines to every person, no matter where you're at. And he says, she says, where are your accusers? And she says, no, I don't know. No one's condemning you any longer. No. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know what she's saying? He was saying, you stood here to hear the end of the message. The end of the message is don't walk away. Let him guide, let him lead, give it back to him. Surrender on an altar today to God. Some of us here have said, that's it, I, I can't do that. I've done that, I've done it once, twice, three times, five times, 10 times. And then there was Peter, we've already got him. What, a, what an amazing guy, really. I think probably more people can relate to Peter than about anyone in the Bible. He just, he stubbed his toes, he stumbled, he fell, he skinned his elbows, he did everything conceivably possible. This was Peter. But Peter stood with Jesus. But he denied Jesus, yes. But he came back to Jesus. And he says, I sinned. I betrayed you. Judas walked away. Peter came back. You see the difference? One person came back. One person walks away. And here it is, when we look at this, the, the, the rest of the story, we see the story of not walking away. I give you one more, though. I've looked at men examples, but there's one other one. His name was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. He was condemned to die by the religious elite. He was, was to be crucified. He was going to bear the sins of the entire world upon his own shoulders. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he wrestled so much, the word of God says his, his, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. But you know what he said? Not my will, but yours be done. He didn't walk away. He went to the cross, as he was already prophesied here, to give his life as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. Don't walk away. 
It seems, it seems simple, but it is so vital in our life. Jesus stood at the cross as the perfect Lamb of God and gave that one offering for sins forever. And it wasn't just this. He imparted his Holy Spirit to you and I and says, because you live, I, I live, you can live. Because it is no longer you, it's me in you working that you don't have to walk away. Because I am the strength, I am the source. And you know, I think about meeting many people in heaven, and heaven will be full of a whole bunch of people that walked away, came back to Jesus, and others that just stood by Jesus. Most of us walked away. Let's just be real. But you know, I, I, I just, as I was studying this, I began to think, well, wouldn't that be something if someday in heaven, you'd see a person, you'd come up and say, who are you? And he would say, I'm the guy they called the rich young ruler in the Bible. I got back to my castle, and I was so restless, and I struggled so much that one day I heard they were going to crucify the very man they, they called me out. And I went there, and I watched him crucified. And I surrendered because I realized I couldn't do it, but he could. This is the story today. You can't do it, but he can. You can't solve the problems, but he can. Don't walk away because the message of the gospel is a message that Jesus does everything for you if you will let him. Let him work. Let him live and don't walk away. And as you do that, God will abundantly give you the strength and the grace. And go back to this. Whenever you stand there by Jesus, he'll give you strength you never thought you had to endure. And I don't know where that is today. But I think of this, and I, I realize that in, in each of our lives, we face this in a different way. But I want to turn as I close over to, no, I'm going to tell you an Apple story before we, we close, because one of the privileges God gave us in our life was raising apples in Washington State. And, you know, in Washington State, I give this to you as you take this and think about the message that uh, it's wonderful to eat a beautiful apple, that what is going on beyond what you see in the apple down at the root is really, really important. It's not seen. There's many roots to choose for the perfect apple. But what is important to any grower is you've got to establish the root very well to get a very good apple. And if the root is not established, the apple will never be good. But there's one more point to it today, and you probably are aware of this. In the state of Washington, when we raise apples, we raise them in trellises. Some of you have seen this. V trellises, vertical trellises. And you put the apple tree up on the trellis. And as you put it up on the trellis, you tie the apple limb to the trellis with little ties. And there's a reason for this, and that is the very best fruit is not what always comes from the root, that it leans on the strength of the, of the trellis. And there it is that that apple can stand bearing fruit. And many of you are the same place. God has you in bearing positions. God has you in amazing positions. And I want to encourage you, rest in the promises of God. 
and rest in his power, his sacrifice, and his deliverance. And no matter what comes, don't walk away. And you can shout like Peter in the Bible as he began his epistle. After he had walked away, came back, walked away, came back, walked away. And then he says, Simon Peter. He says it like this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And notice where, where Jesus was going, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is a man that said, I, I walked away, I came back, God gave me the strength, and now I am shouting the praises of God. God bless you. God keep you. And let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for keeping us through the rest of the story in so many ways. Oh, Lord, we have wondered, we have went astray, we have went our own way, like it says in Isaiah. We went to our own things, and you laid on your son the iniquity of us all, that he could take the stripes that we deserved, that he could take everything we deserved, Father, and on his own body on the tree that we could stand before you and we could hear your claim to believe. And we know that we cannot do what you ask us to do, Lord, except you give us the strength. And today we cry out and thank you. And thank you so much, Jesus, that you have given us that strength. Thank you for the perfect sacrifice. And oh, Jesus, I pray that you would just speak to every heart. If there is anyone here today that you have spoken to, Lord, that is thinking or is walking away, oh, Father, somewhere within your perfect plan, show them that you're still there. Help them to see that you have not walked away from us. You're the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You're always there, Father. We give you the honor and the praise and the glory, Lord, for you are worthy. May your name be lifted up as we continue to sing. And, oh, Father, whoever you are calling, I pray even today, yet today, people could respond while there's still time to your call before it's forever too late. In Jesus' name. Amen.